Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. But how many know you got to be towards something? But when our hearts turn, Pastor Andre, toward the Lord, the veil is taken away. So I can see the end of what's abolished. And one of the things that was abolished was the law. Now, see, that's what's going on here in Matthew 3. John the Baptist is talking about such a massive shift because the kingdom of heaven was about to invade this planet. Heaven had sent its very best. God sent his son, not hallelujah, just to get you from here to there, but to get what was happening there to operate here. Hallelujah. And Jesus began to release in the earth the kingdom of heaven and heaven and earth. Heaven would begin to invade her and is still. How many of the kingdom of God is like leaven? Once you get it in, you can't get it out. <laughs> My mama used to make, you know, homemade bread. She'd be seven kids. She'd take a 25-pound bag of Robin Hood flour twice a week. And she'd make a big pan of bread. Hallelujah. And I'm starting to think about going home now. Hallelujah. And, but she'd just put a little bit of leaven in that. And that stuff would begin to grow. And it would begin to increase. And then first thing you know, it's running over the side of the pan. And, you know. Uh, but see, that's the kingdom. You get the kingdom in. It may not look like it's much. That's what gives me such confidence about preaching the kingdom is it's, it's you, once you get it in, can't get it out. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit comes in your life and he's like leaven. He starts to listen. He starts to expand in every area of your life and change you. Now, one of the things I want you to see is that what was being pictured here, so much stuff is being pictured here. Last night, particularly, we dealt with what was happening in the River Jordan, and I want to deal with that just a little bit more tonight. But John the Baptist steps down in the River Jordan. How many were there last night? Let me just see your hand. I think there's probably some some audio of it, possibly. But it powerfully pictures to me, one of the things that we shared last night is that John the Baptist pictured to me what Joshua was talking about. He said, when you see a priest carry the ark in the middle of the Jordan River, you're going to know it's time to cross over. How many of you remember last night, John the Baptist was a priest. He was Zachariah's son. He was a Levitical priest. Jesus was the ark. And I showed you how that when they stepped down into the river Jordan, that that was, that was a priest and Jesus was an ark. And when Jesus comes up out of the river Jordan, John the Baptist looks up over the bank of the river and he sees that pile of rocks that we just read about. Hallelujah. And he said, God is able of these stones. And I believe he pointed to that pile that, and that said, of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. How many know he was literally about to not only include Jews, but Jews and Gentiles were about to come into the family because he was about to show us that the seed of Abraham is not just by natural descent. It's by faith. That's awesome. Are you with me this morning? But what we showed you several pictures that were happening in the ark. Now, what I want to do today is I want to tell you that not only is this a picture of Joshua and, and, and them carrying the ark across the river, crossing over into the promised land. Before I say that, let me, there's so many pieces that I'm leaving. I hope I'm doing this justice. How many know in the New Testament, the promised land is more than a piece of real estate? Hebrews, the fourth chapter, tells us that the promised land is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. There's still a lot of people wondering. Still a lot of people. Tell me it's time to 
come on, come into the rest. And it's out of rest that everything begins to flow. It's from the posture of rest that it, it hallelujah. Now, but what I want you to see is the promise that's more than a piece of real estate. It's rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But what I want to pick up here is I want to pick up something a little bit more because he says to them uh, in another place, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And I'm going to show you how that this, this, this Jordan River crossing again there is so much going on in this river, it's impossible for me to exhaust wow. it in four services. Wow. Because everything about this crossing over is pictured in so many places. And I want to show you today that I think this is probably the same location that Elijah and Elisha crossed over the river as well. Now let's go back with that thought. So we're going to see this crossing again, not from the uh, Moses and Joshua transition or from the Joshua or from the, you know, from the crossing over to the promised land. But I want to show you this is probably the same picture used of Elijah and Elisha demonstrating the same thing. It's talking about law and grace. And I'll show you in just a moment, but let me just make some statements first. Elijah is a picture of old covenant. Elisha is a picture of the new covenant. Well, I'll show you why in just a moment. But let's go over here with that thought and, and, uh, in, in Matthew 11, I'm going to read to you from the Message Bible. Verse number 7 from Matthew 11 said, When John's disciples left to report, Jesus started talking to the crowd about John. What did you expect when you went out to see him in, in the wild? A, a weekend camper? Hardly. What then? A chic in silk pajamas? I, I like the Message Bible. <laughs> Not in the wilderness, not by a long shot. What then? A prophet? That's right, a prophet. Probably the best prophet you'll ever hear. He is the prophet that Malachi announced when he wrote, I'm sending a prophet ahead of you to make the road smooth for you. Let me tell you what's going on here. No one in history surpasses John the Baptizer. John the Baptizer. But in the kingdom he prepared for you for, the lowliest person is ahead of him. Let me just stop and capitalize on that a minute. Here is G Jesus giving you God's opinion about you. And he's saying nobody in human history was a greater prophet in the Old Testament than John the Baptist. Yeah, wow. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. I want you to touch your neighbor and say, you're greater than John the Baptist this morning. That ain't what God, that ain't, that, listen, that, that's not it. That's what God got to say about you. <laughs> in other words, listen, man, we got some stuff. I'm feeling that preacher sneak up on me this morning. Hallelujah. We got some stuff that's made us better in the kingdom because they didn't have the indwelling Holy Ghost like we got. So he that's least in the kingdom is greater than John the baptizer. He said the lowliest person's ahead of him. For a long time now, it said people have tried, watch this, have tried to force themselves into God's kingdom. But if you read the books of the prophets and God's law closely, you will see them culminate in John. Teaming up with him and preparing the way for the Messiah of the kingdom. Look at it this way. John is, look at this clearly. It says, for uh, teaming up with him in preparing the way for the Messiah of the kingdom. Look at it this way. John is the Elijah you've all been expecting to arrive and introduce the Messiah. Are you listening to me? Really listening to me. So he stops and says, 
They just asked him, what about the prophets say Elijah must first come? He said, listen, I don't know how much clearer to make this to you guys. John the Baptist is Elijah. Remember that because I'm going to put him in the river in just a moment. Hallelujah. John the Baptist is in the river because, see, if you see me when I'm taken, you get a double portion. Come on, somebody. In other words, if you can see an old covenant move, you can walk in a double portion. Now, let me say to you that the double portion is not a measurable amount. It was the amount that was given to the firstborn son because the firstborn got a double portion because he's responsible to take care of the rest of the family. Jesus is the firstborn. Come on. And he got a double portion because he's, you all are going to help me preach up. He's responsible to take care of the rest of the family. I wish you'd touch your neighbor and say, he got enough to take care of you today. Hey, I wish I could get some help to preach in here this morning. Hallelujah. I'm going to take that a little farther in just a little while, but let that settle in for a moment. If you see me when I'm taken, you get a double portion. That's why John said he must increase and I must decrease because I'm not the one. He's the one. I'm the one preparing the way. I'm the voice of one cry. I know my role. I know what I'm supposed to do. But here's one of the most powerful things that I begin to shift because I used to preach this. If you read this from the King James Bible, it's worded just a bit different. But it says, but in the King James, it said, for up until John, the kingdom of heaven suffered violent and the violent take it by force. And I remember we get in these fighting moods. <laughs> Come on, folks. Huh? We go storm the devil's camp. And I'm not telling you we're not to plunder the enemy's camp or something. But what he's saying here is up until John the Baptist, you had to take the kingdom by scratching and fighting and struggling. In other words, he's saying you're trying to access the kingdom through an old covenant performance righteousness based thing. And guess what? Nobody ever makes it because the end of the law is there's none righteous, not even one. So the kingdom, what he's saying is up until then, it was about you struggling. It was about you. Listen, man, this will help you. The next time some TV preacher come on, I'll probably be careful because I know they're filming me. People, there are a lot of famous guys. You'd be surprised at people who watch me. Hallelujah. But I'm going to expose some stuff here. Hallelujah. The next time they tell you, you're going to give this breakthrough offering. See, the trouble is they're trying to sell you a breakthrough for the problem they created. You'll give your Passover offering, God will bless you. Listen, I'm going to tell you, Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice. And I appreciate what this man of God said this morning. It ain't about your sacrifice. It's about tapping into the one that's already come. Now, I'm not saying you ought not to give, but you ought not to give because you're trying to get something. You ought to give because you're full of the abundance of grace and you're blessed to be a blessing. In other words, this is not about a doing. Listen, it's about even Abraham when he gave, listen, he gave tithe to Melchizedek. He wasn't doing it to get the victory. He was on his way back from one. See, and I believe when people realize I'm not given to get the victory, there's already a victory been won in Jesus. I'm given because I'm on my way back from one. And I just had lunch with Melchizedek and he's serving bread and wine and bread and wine is the finished work. And you eat some bread and wine, it'll make you want to give. That was his response to grace. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, listen, listen, what I'm saying is it's not about you doing to get. So he's saying, listen, you had to take this thing through, through scratching. He said, but listen, what you need to understand is that culminated with John. That's the last. 
You have to take the kingdom. Violent men seized and forced their way into the kingdom. But Jesus goes on to say, well, let me skip down because I, there's, there's so many pieces, but I, I, let me, then I, if, I, if I don't move through some of this, I won't get down. But here, here's, here's the final. What he says is, listen, listen. Verse 26, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? See, what he's talking about, are you tired of the fight? You, listen, I'm going to tell you that my, the, my second book I wrote called Unforced Rhythms of Grace comes from this text. Are you tired? I mean, this is, this, when Jesus pressed in the, in the King James Bible, he says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And we think he's talking to drug dealers and prostitutes. He's really not. He's talking to people who've been trying to force their way into the kingdom. And he said, are you wore out yet? Are you tired? Because until you come to the end of yourself, I can't help you. Sometimes we think when we come to the end of ourselves, it's the worst thing ever happened, but it's the best thing could ever happen to you. Best thing I ever figured out is I can't do this on my own. I have a complete, utter dependence. The best thing you ever find out is without him, you can do absolutely Nothing. Hallelujah. That's a good place to come to. And it's in that place of utter frustration that you'll start to discover some things about God. In my moments of trying to run from what I thought was God, I really wasn't running from God. I was running from religion. I I wish I had another hour or two here this morning. There are so many casualties to stuff that we preached over American pulpits that have run our kids off and our families off and people are adults and weary. I mean, when I, when I visit jails and prisons and rehab centers, there are people who have already been to our churches that are disenfranchised and try to say, I can't live it. That's the first thing that's how I come to your church. Or they'll say to me all the time, I'm going to come to your church when I get my act together. I tell them, if you get your act together, it's just an act. God, I ain't interested in actors. Just come like you are, man. Hallelujah. Come like you are because, listen, you can't fix yourself. Hallelujah. If you could have fixed yourself, I mean, anybody that's worked with anybody, I know this sister works with people, the first thing you got to listen, you got to look for something that's a higher power because if you could have fixed yourself, you'd have fixed yourself. And the ones that are successful, what is not the ones that choose a Ford or a Chevy is their higher power because that ain't going to help them. It's the ones that get a hold of Jesus and realize there's a Holy Ghost that really is the dynamic dunamis power of God. It's... Hallelujah. So he says to them, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. He's talking about delivering them from an old covenant paradigm here. He says in the the King James, come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's talking about all the burdens that we've carried. Listen, we grew up in such legalism. Yes, that's right. That, I mean, it would just, I mean, we preach against stuff that wasn't even in the Bible. We preach against devil food cake, devil ham, devil eggs, anything had a devil in it. You could eat angel food, but you couldn't. <laughs> Pastor, not only did we shoot the TV, we gave up Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola was a sin. I remember when you, and I said to my pastor, I said, what about a Coca-Cola? It's going to take me to hell. And he couldn't even talk to him in his regular voice. He had to talk to him in his preacher voice. He said, son, (laughs) you going to drink that Coca-Cola from a bottle. (laughs) It's going to ruin your testimony. Somebody going to think you're drinking something else. (laughs) And I'm thinking, then why not preach against root beer? That's in a brown bottle. (laughs) 
And then he looked at me, he said, son, that Coca-Cola is shaped like a woman. It's liable to make you lust. I'm 16 years old. I said, thanks for that image, you know. So I struggled with Coke till I got in my 40s. And then they came out with three liter bottles and I got over it. Hallelujah. But I mean, we preach against stuff what no Bible for, man. And I mean, see what that does is you think, listen, it's funny now, but I can remember the days of condemnation and guilt and the casualties that were to that until you get to the end of yourself and you realize what this is about. And listen, I mean, even when I wrote Unforced Rhythms of Grace, I put more of an emphasis on are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Because that's really where people are at a lot. But Jesus then goes on to say, well, look, I like this because we, we kind of get way ahead of this. He said, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. In other words, not only turn away from the burdensome stuff of, 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 of the, the of, I got to take the kingdom by force, <coughs> but walk with me. Work with me. In other words, don't just turn from. Come on, how to take my yoke. Another, uh, my, my, my uh, son's father-in-law was teaching on this. He asked me, he said, you have anything on yoke? I said, yeah. He said, what do you want to, what would you say about it? take my yoke? I said, Jesus tells us not to be unequally yoked. That must mean if he married us, we're his equal. Amen. Oh, I wish I had a couple hours preaching on the Song of Solomon here. Hallelujah. You must be his equal. Because he's not, he, look, I, when I'm thinking about uh, yoke, I'm not thinking about uh, two cows pulling together. I'm thinking about when you're married. Come on, you've got a relationship going. Listen, I tell you what, you've been married any length of time. You know what your wife's thinking. Yeah. Yeah. She knows what you're thinking. She knows, listen, come on, you've you got a rhythm. Right. I, listen, you know what I'm talking about? Right. Hallelujah. That's awesome. Hallelujah. I said, you get a rhythm. You start to learn. What I'm saying is you start to walk. You know each other's nuances. And, and what he's saying is come walk with me. Work with me. I'm going to show you how I do it. I'm going to teach you the unforced rhythm of grace. So what he's saying is the unforced rhythm of grace is not about you fighting to get the kingdom by force. It's about receiving it through the unforced rhythms of grace. It's simply by walking with him, working with him, seeing how he does it, being led, governed by the spirit. For they that are led by the spirit spirit are sons. In contrast to what? Under the old covenant, you were slaves and servants. But the contrast now is if you're a son, you're governed by the spirit and the spirit will do his work. Hallelujah. Now with that thought, let's go over. I want to, I want to grab this thought if I can. Let me see. Um, go with me if you would to Luke, the ninth chapter. Oh, I'm not getting as far as I want to help me. Holy ghost. <laughs> Luke 9, I'll probably read this from the King James, about verse number 52. Hallelujah. Are we all right? Yes. Luke 9, let's see. 52, and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, 
wilt thou, com- wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias or Elijah did? That's Elias is Elijah here if you look at other translations. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you don't know what spirit, manner of spirit you're of, for the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Now here's what I want you to see. These disciples, now let, let me give you a little bit of backdrop. They just came down off of the Mount of Transfiguration. I really need about two more services. <laughs> They came down off of the Mount of Transfiguration, and Moses and Elijah show up on the mountain. It's Sunday morning. Can I take my time? Yes. I I, want to be cautious of time here, but Moses only ever asked God for two things. Let me see your glory. Show me the promised land. He's the mediator of this covenant. And he gets to the end of the wilderness journey and he fouls up one time and misses the promised land. God says to him, you can't go in. And that used to frustrate me so bad because I'm thinking to myself, here's a man who spent 40 years in Egyptian schools, 40 more years in the backside of the desert keeping sheep. He's 80 years old when he goes into the ministry, Tom. 80. Touch your neighbor, say it's not too late for you yet. (laughs) And God calls him to take three to six million people on a 40-year camping trip. And these people don't even want to go camping. They get on God's last nerve a couple times and God said, get up, get up out the road. I'm going to kill them, Moses. And Moses said, God, if you kill them, you've got to kill me too. I wish I had time to explain why all that happened. If I'd have been Moses, I said, you know what? I'm tired of camping. Kill every one of them. I'm done too. (laughs) So he gets to the end of the wilderness journey and he smites the rock. Rather than speak the word to the rock, there's reasons for all of this, but I got to pass it. And And God says to him, you can't go into the promised land. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I want you to go and I'm going to hide you in a rock and I'm going to put my hand over the rock and and then I'm going to let all my goodness pass before you. And then after I pass by, I'm going to pull my hand away. You'll see my hinder parts. And I'll let you see my glory from behind. See, under the old covenant, you never see God's face. You always see his backside because he's always trying to walk away from you. But in the new covenant, there's no variableness or telling your shadow. God will never turn his back on you. Oh, that's awesome. And he says, let me see your glory. So he, 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 he saw the afterburn of glory and he saw the promised land from a distance. And the man dies short of entering. And that used to frustrate me until I realized that the reason God allowed Moses to die before the promised land is to show us that not even the mediator of that covenant could make it in by the works of the law. Because if Moses would have made it, at least that's why the devil fought for the body of Moses is because that would become his weapon of condemnation against you. But the Lord took his body and buried him in a place where no man knows where he's at to this day. That's what the scripture said. Now that's I was driving to Cincinnati about 20 years ago and the Holy Ghost told me where Moses was buried at. I'm going to tell you before I leave here. And when I was thinking about this, here's the prayer request of Moses. Let me see your glory. Show me the promised land. And that prayer request is legitimate. But 1,500 years of human history passed 
And Moses has not seen the promised land. Or he's seen it from a distance. And those prayer requests are ringing throughout the courts of glory. And one morning God looked over at Michael and Gabriel and he said, go get Jacob's ladder. Moses is about to re-enter the theater of human expression on a mountain called Transfiguration. I'm about to answer his prayer. And he comes down the ladder and he looks in the face of Jesus and he realizes glory is not smoke in the corner. It's found in the face of Jesus Christ. I don't know how y'all stay calm. Hallelujah. Glory is in the face of Jesus Christ. And then he realizes the promised land is not a place. It's a person. And Moses was swallowed up in Christ. Hallelujah. Because the law and the prophets were culminated and fulfilled in Christ. Come on, somebody. So they were looking forward, but God made it available even to Moses. And you say, well, where's Moses buried? He's buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, the same place you're buried. And if you can't find Moses, you can't find me. So stop looking for my old man. Hallelujah. God took you. He crucified you. He buried you. Come on, somebody. And resurrected you. As a new creature. But wait. Here comes Elijah down the mountain. Because we don't just need the law. We need the law and the prophets. Now Elijah comes down the mountain. And then Peter stands up. And Pete is, hallelujah. He's like, man, it's good for us to be here. This got, he said, he, this got to have something to do to Feast of Tabernacles. Let's build here three tabernacles. Right. <laughs> Let's make one for you, Jesus. Let's make one for you, Moses. Let's make one for you, Elijah. And Father stops this thing. That's right. He said, boys and girls, this is not Jesus plus the law. That's right. It's not Jesus plus the law and the prophets. This is my son. Hear him. Yes. Even in who is on this mountain, Peter, James, and John is significant because Peter's name means the rock. James's name means to replace or to supplant, and John's name means love or grace. And what he's saying is we're going to replace the rock of the law with the love of God and the grace of God. Even who he's got on the mountain is significant. But when he's done, Jesus is left alone, and he's standing there as the totality and the consummation of all the law and the prophets and they leave that place, so much to preach here, and now they come into a city, and this story begins. They did not receive him because his face as though he were set to go to Jerusalem. And the apostle says, let's call down fire from heaven like Elijah. (laughs) They're using an Old Testament Precedent scripture. Let's do what Elijah did and call down fire from heaven. And Jesus rebukes him. He said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Now he's not telling them they're operating in a demonic spirit. He's telling them they're operating in an old covenant spirit. I ought to write a whole book on this because this would help a lot of warfare people. What spirit are you of? See, see, we're raising prophets even today with an old covenant paradigm. See, an old covenant paradigm or an old covenant prophet will call your sin to your remembrance. And a new covenant prophet will call your righteousness forth. Come on. An old covenant prophet will torment you and a new covenant prophet will mentor you. Yes. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. An old covenant prophet will prophesy judgment. A new covenant prophet will... I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. 
In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.